And this is really a, a new chalik of what the Gazar is going to talk about. Rather than debating the various ideas that the king had, uh, the Gazar is now going to talk about, uh, he focuses on the Yisodis of Emunah. So in Oisid Zayn, the king is talking to the Chacham and he says to him, Enyani mevakesh mucha shetamik v'inyanazeh. I don't want you to, uh, after the, the Chacham had told him that Emunah isn't just a matter of knowing the proofs or knowing what to say. Emunah is experiential. Emunah is understanding and living with Emunah. And therefore, what's the point of just uh, using words to define Emunah? So that the king responds. He said, I don't want you to go into deep depth about it. I rather I want something just as a reminder of what the principles of the Emunah are. Because I've heard throughout the Sefer, he's heard various uh, points which the Kuzari, the Chafim has told him, are a part of our uh, Emunah. So he said, I want to, I want to know what, what's included in the Emunah. What are the, what are the rules or the principles of Emunah? Again, not at length to to justify them, but rather to just to, as a way to revise them and remember them. And now this is where we know famously there's the 13 principles of the Rambam, so which he calls the Ikra Imunah. Here we have uh, Rabbi Levi's list. Rabbi Levi was actually the door after the Rambam, but nevertheless he made his own list of principles of Imunah too. It's interesting, he's going to learn in the next few simanim, the, the Rabbi Levi says to the mouthpiece of the Chachim, what the Ikra of Arimun are, the principles of Arimun Some things overlap and are obviously the same as the Ramam says. Some things he says differently, not that he's arguing, but what he considers principles of Imun. What's so, the significance of being an Ikra of Imun that you have to know it? Is right. That the Chashivas of the Ikra of Imun is that, like the Rambam writes in his Akdomen to the Ikra of and that is a person's identity as part of Klai Yisrael depends on his acceptance of the Ikra of uh, he says, Kol Yisrael Yeshim Chalik Lalemagah. So he says, he's defined as Yisrael as the person who's a man. If you want to put it in different words, our identity as Klai Yisrael is our acceptance of the Emunah, our allegiance to Hashem. And that's why these principles are, so to speak, entry requirements to being part of the Jewish people. Like I said, the Rambam and Rabbi Levi list them a little bit differently. I mean, the underlying theme is the same, but uh, exactly how we number them, so there's going to be a few differences. Okay, so that background, it starts Yudches, it calls Parag Aleph, the first of the principles of the Emunah that Rabbi Levi presents to us. This is something the Rambam brought as a Derech Agav. He didn't bring this as a principle in its own right. And that is what he called Bittal HaKadmus, which means the acceptance that the world began, was created, and it didn't always exist. That was, Kadmus means that the world was created. Kadmus means the world was created, which always was. It, it never, it never got created because it always was in existence. It's the philosophers, which are the philosophers believe, and then that's why the real Levi puts this as the first principle of Imunah, the rejection of that notion. So Amar Achav, Tchila, Mashitzarich Lahamid Chidush Aylam, or Lakaim Adav Bittel Kadmus Aylam. The first principle is Chidush Aylam. The world began. The world was created. It's something which came into being, and to, and to understand the Bittel, the to nullify, to the, in other words, to negate the philosophy of Kadmus Aylam, that the world always existed. Why? Because if the world always existed, so then, we don't, then there's nothing for the Bori to do. 
the world of Mosul which always existed, so then we, one doesn't have to assume there was a bayre. And if there was no bayre, then there's no obligation to anything. Whereas if the world began, then there must have been something which made the world begin. In which case, we can now begin to talk about the Creator who made the world happen. Now, the way to prove that the world began, was created, and didn't always exist, there's two ways to prove it. The one way is the way that the philosophers prove it, which is uh, what the Guzari is going to present to us now in his words. It's the same way that the Chavis of Lod uses in the bringing of Shara Yichud. It's similar to the Ramesses of the as well. Basically, it was the same a logical sequence of arguments which prove that it has to be the Creator. Or before that, prove that the world has to have been created. That's one way that one can attempt to prove kindness for a philosophical audience. That was probably the right way to go, because they understood the principles, uh, the, what the, derived from those principles. They couldn't argue with the logic of, and therefore they have to come to the conclusion also that the world has to have been created. For us today, well, we can learn the argument to explain it. It doesn't speak to us so much, because we don't work so much in philosophy anyway. But for us, we don't need to come on to that, because today we have proof that the world was created. So let's just quickly run through. The idea that design proves creation, that's that's, that's, that's the second point. But even before that, the fact that, before we talk about an intelligent creator, that the fact that the world couldn't always have existed, I guess it's very scientific proof for that. And let's just run through it, because it's not something that Kazari says he didn't have the information. But for us, it's a, it's a very good way to convince ourselves of this principle. And like I said, it's something which is, which is scientifically accepted as well. So we, Anybody going to try and explain this to will also understand it. And that is... Yeah, sorry, I keep interrupting. The concept that things move towards entropy, is that a proof that, that they're uh, That's part of the philosophical proof that we're going to see. But what's first? What's the scientific proof? And just a bit, I'll tell you a bit of the background history for the proof of the science. And that is, there was a, always a discussion um, between the astronomers. And that is, what was the nature of the universe. In other words, they gave three models for what the universe uh, could possibly look, look like. The one is what they call the static model, which means everything stays still. In other words, all the galaxies and stars and planets are all at a fixed distance from each other, and they're staying in the same place. They, they're orbiting each other, but they're not. They're in proportion to each other, always in the same place, just like the planets within our solar system. They're all spinning in around the sun, but they're all keeping equidistant from each other at every given time. It's just a, a circle which repeats itself again and again. That's the one option of how the Matthias could look. And therefore all the stars, galaxies, whatever they know about, would be in the same holding pattern. Things would be staying the same space in space, and so they're orbiting each other based on gravitational pulls. But the Mesa, that, that could happen again and again, because everything is locked into a, so to speak, a fixed position. That's one option. The second option is what's called the expansionist theory, which means things are getting further apart. And that is, things aren't staying still, they're actually moving apart from each other, drifting apart from each other the whole time. Now, that theory is considered to be not logical, because what would pull things further apart? If we're talking about space being a certain size, so what would repel things from each other, which means make them move further away from each other? Well, if anything, if anything, but if anything, the more logical position would be to say things are getting closer and closer and closer, because everything's pulling each other towards the central gravitational pull. What is that So, so that, that, would, that would be the three options of, of what the universe looked like. Number one being a static model, an expansionist model, or an uh, other way around, a model which is an implosive model, which means everything is coming together to, 
to, uh, to, to crash, eventually to crash, but everything is racing towards each other because everything is pulling each other uh, in, inwards. No, but the, then you said, what would be the center? Where would the center be? Yeah, with uh, either pushing out or crashing in. From what? Well, From what? Whatever we consider center point of however big we see the cosmos being, wherever that center point would be. Uh-huh. So is everything being pulled towards it, or is everything being pushed away from it? And like I said, the logical position would either, would either be things have maintained a balance or staying still, or everything has been pulled towards each other because there's a pull of gravity. Uh, to say things are being pushed outwards doesn't really make sense. If you're going to, if you in the normal, unless you come with some other idea of what would have caused things to get pushed outwards, that doesn't, that wasn't a logical option. The force of big bang. So we're going to talk about that. So that was what we're talking now about. Uh, this was the question of basically uh, that astronomers wanted to understand. Uh, we're talking say, 80, 90 years ago. 80. 80 or 90 years ago, that was the question. When, which they didn't have then. didn't have telescopes, they were trying to work with the mathematics. When Einstein proposed his theory of relativity, and then one of the corollaries of that is we can work out light by speed, by time, whatever the equations are going to be. So a number of people who studied the science of what he said, said, according to your theory, it has to be that the expansions model is true. Because uh, based on the, based on just using the formulas, there must be that things are going uh, we, uh, we, as we calculate them are receding. He never accepted that, getting further apart. He never accepted that, and he never did. he never accepted. It. Even though that was the logical conclusion, he said he, he refused to accept that that was true. Which he, which proposal did he accept? He held the static model static. of the universe, but that became uh, irrational, uh, uh, no longer relevant, a relevant argument. When they developed the Hubble telescope in the 1950s, because once they had developed it, then they could see the stars and they could they could see what, how far they were. They could measure them, and it, bec- and it was very clear that they were moving further away. Somewhere so that Professor Hubble, who developed it, invited Einstein to come to his observatory, I don't know, somewhere in Texas, I think, to have a look and admit that uh, the expansionist theory is true because you can see it with a telescope, you can measure it. And uh, famously, Einstein said that uh, he'd be fighting his whole life against accepting that because uh, if you accept uh, that theory uh, that the world is expanding then you're accepting a creator he was a chacham and he understood the ramifications of what he said because if you're going to say that the world is static it could always be like that if you're going to say that the world is expanding then it means it has to be a starting point we're just moving away from because I can't, if it's going further apart it means that's the beginning point and it's moving further and further and further apart from that beginning point now, the only question was that, uh, so that mis- means there must have been a start point from which everything is moving outwards from. And that means that there, there was a point of creation. So, uh, that's why he avoided that. And he famously said the line that a scientist spends his whole life climbing to the peaks of uh, human intelligence and eventually scales the top peak to find the believer sitting at the top. Uh, which that's means, what that's what he said. He never became a man himself, but he had to admit that that, that the truth is there must have been a burial. There must have been a starting point of creation. Why? Because the only force which could have created something which is sending it outwards is what they later on dubbed Big Bang, which means there was a force of beginning, and that force was so strong that things are still moving further apart because of it. And not only that, the, that force must have had a, uh, what they said, the cosmic shockwaves, which, well, if you're talking in space, should still be reverberating in space. And they picked it up. When they use the, the technology that they had, they could they could still hear that low-grade sound 
which is being from space, which is like, so to speak, the continuing echo of the force of creation. So that pretty much scientifically determined that there must have been a starting point for creation. Now, the later scientists, but the later scientists said, who refused to accept such a thing, so they said, and they made up a new concept for the world, and they said maybe what they call the yo-yo model, for the lack of a more logical sounding title, the yo-yo model of the world. And what basically it means is, no, maybe the world isn't static, we can't, we can't deny it, you can see that it's receding, but it's, a, it's like a, in, out, in, out, which means it's, it's, uh, the force of uh, spends, spends everything hurtling outwards at tremendous speed, and just like I throw a ball up to the sky. But a certain state is going to slow down, and then gravity is going to take over and bring it all back again. And then everything was crashing back again, and the force of that tremendous explosion will turn everything back out again. In, uh, which just means that, uh, that everything, all matter, by the force of tremendous explosion, everything colliding is going to cause a tremendous explosion, which is going to send everything shooting out again in all different directions, in the form of stars, planets, asteroids, whatever you want things to be. And uh, therefore, it's a, it's a continual process, not that it's static, but it's a continual yo-yo process. Yeah, I think this theory was named after its founder. Could be. <laughs> but, you know, it's science, they're going to grasp the straws. Now, how did they... So what's the way to prove or disprove that? It's very simple. And that is the, the basic concept of... Um, when creation yeah. is not an option, so you have to explain right. it. So what, what's the other option? Theory. Basically, Newton's, uh, Newton's of, of movement, which is that if it's like a true that that would be the possibility of the world expanding, imploding, smashing, shooting out again, putting pulled out in again, then what you have to see is that gravity is starting to have an effect. Just like if I would throw something up into the sky, it starts very fast, but as the force of my vector works off, it's going to have to slow down until eventually gravity overpowers and pulls it back down. And now, so that's okay, it's very simple. We're going to measure again. Let's go back to our telescope and let's watch things getting further apart. Is the rate that they're going slowing down, is that it's moving away or is it speeding up? Because if you say slowing down, then te- technically there could be some stage where it stops spreading out because the force of gravity starts to be stronger than the force we sent it out, and then it's going to stop and eventually turn around and come back in again. Again, just like when I throw something up, it eventually slows down, stops, and turns around and comes back down. Yeah. But if it's getting faster and faster and faster, that means that the gravity is not having a pull on it. And if that's the case, it's never going to come back in because the force of outward movement is stronger than gravity, and it's not speeding up, it's not slowing down. Okay, so we measure the telescopes, and they measure it again, and they, and they tracked how things are, are expanding, and again, you can't argue with the fact, things are getting faster and faster. And why would it get faster? Now we have no other options. The, 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 the only option could have been a starting point, <coughs> and, and from there everything spreads out. So Cadmus isn't an option. Scientific is not an option. Those who absolutely refuse in any circumstances whatsoever to see the MS have to create some other reason of how, of a starting point of the world which they want to invent how that would have happened without a creator. But now they have to agree on a starting point. But they can't argue Cadmus anymore because you can't say the world always was. It's provable, it's been proven that it wasn't. It began at a certain time. It began at a certain time and we have to accept the first principle and that is the world is, is something which was created, the world wasn't always. That's just background. So today we'd have to prove that Cadmus isn't an option. We can prove it scientifically. We don't have to come to theory, and we don't have to come to things which are debatable because these are things which are observable. Uh, like I said, both they've picked up, like I said, that low microwave-like echo of the initial force, and also you can see it. You can, you can, you can. With the first does they have, you can track stars. You can see it getting further apart. Most people probably don't think about. It. That's the. 
That's what we would use today to, to prove it. there's no kindness. The world didn't always exist. But if we're talking now the door of the Rishonim, who obviously didn't have access to that kind of scientific information, they had a different route to God. So now we're going to read what the Kazari says. It's very similar to, like I said, both what the Rambam and the Shechayim Salvavos, Rene Bechayim says, in their own words, but it's all the same principle. And I'm going to say outside in English first because it's easier to hear that rather than the words they use to explain the idea. The basic idea is like this. Some, something is either finite or infinite. There's no other option. In other words, something is either infinite, which means it has no parameters, or it's finite, which means it's very clearly defined. Now, something can't be half finite and half infinite. In other words, what's half of infinity? There's no such thing. What's, this, what's the side of infinity? There's no such thing. Someone what, should, is what is, where does, what is this, the first step of, like the first part of infinity? Where does it end? What's half of infinity? There's no such thing. Infinity doesn't, uh, infinity doesn't have a, a, a certain amount that I can, I can divide. No, that's something else. We look at the second. But firstly, we're talking about amounts. There isn't, there isn't. I can't uh, like break infinity into parts. It's either infinite or it's finite. There's nothing half, half infinite, half finite. And therefore, if you're going to talk about something which is infinite, then it has to be infinite in every way. You know, there's nothing which I can determine about it, which is has certain parameters. If if you're going to talk about something which is finite, then if that's the case, it's completely finite. You can't have a system which is half one and half the other one. Uh, so, for example, when we talk about Hashem, everything about Hashem is infinite. There's no beginning and there's no end and there's no middle and there's no sides. And then again, we hear these words, we think of Shirei Yichud, because he was also rich at that time, which is the same thing. There's nothing in there's no side, there's no side, there's no middle, there's no beginning, there's no end. Something infinite can't be put into any parameters. And therefore, we can't talk about uh, how, how much of Hashem is there, or how, how long has Hashem been around. There is, there's no such thing. Something infinite is completely infinite. Something finite is completely finite. Same thing about his news, how big he is, how strong he is. Right, same thing. There's no, right, you can't say how strong Hashem is, how big he is, how much he's done. These are all trying to use finite terms for the infinite, and you can't, you can't define infinity by finite in any way. Whereas, on the other hand, if something is defined in finite terms, then it by definition is finite. There's nothing infinite, and then it can't be half infinite. And therefore, if you're going to say, this is where it all comes to, just in no other words, if you're going to say that Adam is Kaidman, you're saying it's infinite. You say it's it's, 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 oh, it's it Kaidman, it's, it's infinite, because it never started. If that's the case, everything about the Adam has to be infinite. So then how come, this, how come everything else about it is finite? There's a finite amount of things in the world, there's a finite amount of things that the world can do, and there's a science to the world, and there's time in the world. These are all finite parameters. And how do finite parameters define an infinite entity? That's well, well, why, why is that logically compelling? He says like this. If, uh, if it was something which doesn't have a beginning, so, then what the person who believes in Kaidmas has to say, that if the world um, didn't have a beginning, then there's no tachis, there's no limit, there's no amount that we can apply to things in the world because But if something had no end, which means that no net was infinite, then it would never come into something physical. It's a pearl in the way which is physical because then it's being defined by a certain finite uh, proportion. And if that's the case, this question. How can beings in this world 
exist physically, if we're talking about something which is an infinite thing, things in the world, or the amount of people in the world, or the amount of time that things are in the world for, are all things which have a number and come to a certain amount. Then there's In a person's mind, they can count infinitely, thousands and thousands of thousands, and more and more and more without end. But that's just as Technically, that, if we're talking about um, infinite numbers, one can think of that. But to say there's an infinite number of things in the world, that's not shaykh. Why? Because anything which exists and can be counted. However many billions of people are in the world, there's a number. You can't say that infinite amount of people in the world. You can't say the infinite amount of things in the world. Anything which is created has a number. And how can something which is no tachis, infinity, become something which is measurable? And if that's the case, being as we see the world and the things in the world and how long things last in the world, you have all three points of it, are all things which are measurable and have an end point. So then I see we're talking about a finite system. There has to be a beginning point. And just like when you see, and there have been an amount of times that the world's gone around the sun. There have been an amount of times the world's spun around itself. It's a big number, but it's a number. There has to be a tachis. It's not something which is infinite. Same thing, something which doesn't have an end, which means something which is infinite. You can't have half infinity, and not you can't have double infinity, you can't give any numbers to it. It's something which is, by our definition, infinite. By the we, we know we can give it numbers. We, so we know that the amount of times uh, that we go around the, sun, the world goes around the sun is a twelfth of the amount of times the moon is going around the world. This is every year the world goes around the sun, every month the moon goes around the world, so twelve times one, one is twelve times the other one. Each of the other planets, and again, there's an amount of times that it's gone around in its orbit. And we can we can count that. It's not something infinite. Yes, there is there. One will be a, a percentage of the other. And if we're talking infinity, then there's no part of infinity. How can one be the same as the other one when we're talking about something which is infinite? If you're talking about size, one is bigger than the other one, or smaller than the other one. It's a bigger number, a smaller number. That's all things which are finite. And if that's the case, something which has no tachlis, which means something infinite, we can't work with something infinite. We don't live in a world of anything infinite. Everything in the physical world is finite. If anything we see is created, so it's something finite, something we can see, a certain size to, a certain length of time it lives for, a certain ability that it has. If it's time for something which is infinite, then how do we have numbers? How is it something which we can which we can define down and measure. Right. And therefore, things we see as a part of a system which has an end point, it has to have a beginning point. It wouldn't be for that, that everything would have to be in a system of infinity, you would never find an individual, because that's already defining somebody, that's already making him finite. And therefore, being as the world we live in is in the world which is finite, it must be the world itself is finite too. That's the argument of the philosophers, or against the philosophers, and that is we can't assume 
that finite things will exist infinitely. And he made it. Before we get to the concept of the creation or the creator, the first thing is the necessity to say the world has to have been created. Is it a 